Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. So glad you guys could be with us here, whether in person or online. I want to welcome you. I'm Chip Freed, uh, Chief Missional Strategist here at Garfield Memorial Church and part of this teaching team. I'm so excited that you're going to be with us here, let's say, for the next 30 minutes as we lean in on these words, <laughs> words of God, words of life. Tony Campolo is a great uh, 20th century evangelist, 21st century evangelist. If you've never read any of his books, you'd be blessed by him. Uh, Google him on YouTube and listen to some of his, his insights. He was one of the most practical preachers, I think, of the late 20th, early 21st century. I had the privilege to come under his mentorship when I was a seminary student. He taught at Eastern University in Philadelphia, PA, and for six months he drove over the hour to Princeton, New Jersey to uh, mentor and teach any seminary students that wanted to be with him for a class for once a month. I was the first one to sign up. I'll never forget going into Tony's uh, gatherings one day, and he told us he had just gotten off the phone. He got off a phone, the phone with a friend of his who was a New York City urban pastor, and uh, the pastor had shared with him that he had just come back from a pretty amazing funeral service. And when Tony asked him to explain, he said, well, he had gotten a call earlier in the week from a funeral director that he worked with a lot in town. And this man asked if he might consider doing a graveside service for uh, a funeral for some friends who wanted their friend uh, buried with a Christian burial, but he couldn't find any church or pastor who would do it. The young man had died of AIDS, and this was 1990. It was at the height of the AIDS pandemic, and just like what we've been through the last year, there's all kind of misinformation and, and, you know, false conspiracy stories and blame games and everything else. And the church was very complicit in that. And the man said, uh, of course he would do it. And he went to that graveside, and there were about 15 or 18 gay men who had been completely at that time, and unfortunately still in this day, ostracized from the church, outcast from the church. No church wanted to be affiliated. And this man went and he did the graveside service. He was very kind to to the friends. They assembled, he spoke kind words, he leaned up on the word of God. He said the prayers now. If you've ever been to an internment service, uh, that part of the service is pretty short. We have a liturgy, at most it's about 20 minutes. And he had gone through that service and he did it and he said the prayers and then he gave the dismissal and he thanked them for allowing him to be there to remember the homegoing of their friend. He walked away and he looked back and he noticed none of the men had moved. They just were standing around that grave. So he walked back, this pastor did, and he said, is there anything else I can do to help you? Can I be of assistance? And he said, one of the men looked at him, a little tears in his eyes, said, I thought we'd hear the 23rd Psalm. 
And the pastor said, oh, let me read the 23rd Psalm. And they read the 23rd Psalm and they began to discuss what it meant that the Lord was their shepherd. Then somebody else said, well, where in the Bible does it say that nothing will separate you from the love of God? Where does it say if God is for you, like you don't have to worry who's against you? And the pastor said, well, that's Romans 8. And he read Romans 8 to them and they talked about and discussed it. And he told Dr. Campolo for the next hour, we stood there reading scripture and discussing it. And I thought, here were men absolutely cast out and cut off from the so-called people of God. But when they were in pain, they ran to the words of God. This is our question for this series. Where do you run to? Where do you run to? You know, to quote Carol King, some of you are old enough to know who that is. Millennials will need to Google that. If you're my age or older and there's fewer and fewer of us around, but you remember Carol King had that song, you know, I feel the earth move under my feet. I feel the sky come tumbling down. Man, we've got a bunch of my group in here. Come on, Justin, come back in. Bring the guitar. We're ready to roll. But you know, that was a cute song. It was a fun song. But have you ever gone through the not-so-cute times where you feel the earth move under your feet? The sky comes tumbling down. We want to say at those times, at those intense times, it's always good to go to the words of God, but there is a place and a time where the suffering can be so intense, the grief can be so real, that you can't even find the words. You know, Pastor Terry talked about that last week, going through Caesars, Grandma Caesars with their son Mike, and Pastor Terry was just coming back to faith, and, and they didn't know anything about Caesars, and she didn't know a lot about ministry or scriptures, and... She said, I didn't even know how to pray, so I called someone who did. There's a place where you can get, where you can't find the words. You're not unholy, okay? In fact, Paul even said, we don't know how to pray as we ought to. And when we can't find words, the Holy Spirit comes with sighs too deep for words. One of my favorite moments in scripture was between King David, if you remember him, King David in the Old Testament after he fought Goliath, if you're kind of new to the Bible, he rose to be the most cherished or heralded king of Israel. He had a lot of problems, let me tell you, but he rose to be like the golden age of Israel. But when David came into being, there was already a king of Israel, remember King Saul? And David was kind of an understudy. He served Saul and Saul loved David. In fact, he would have David come and play music for him and he put David in charge of his armies. But one day they came marching home and uh, David got a little better reception than Saul did. And uh, Saul had an ego, most people in power do. And he didn't like it so much when they said, hey, Saul has conquered his thousands, but David is 10,000. And now David was competition and Saul and David became embattled against one another and divided along political lines. How many of you know that doesn't work out well? I know that's not relevant for today, but you know, it's just this division and fighting and grappling and that's all in the Bible, it's all in there. People say the Bible's propaganda, it's bad propaganda because it's all in there. And David and Saul are fighting and they're in this rivalry and Saul wants to kill David. And don't think like David was some little innocent guy. He was complicit, he hired his soldiers and they took out some of Saul's people. But David had a, had a beautiful friendship with Saul's son, Jonathan. And it was very complicated because they ended up on warring sides. And pretty soon after all of this devastation, if we're not careful, we're headed there ourselves. There's very few left 
And Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle. And David in 2 Samuel 9 has a moment of repentance. He knows he's got blood on his hands. And he says to his priest in his cabinet, he said, is there anyone left from the house of Saul? Not for whom I can kill, not for whom I can slander on social media, not for whom I can bully, but is there anyone left from the house of Saul to whom I can show the kindness of God? And they said, well, there's one left. He's a son of Jonathan, your friend. His name is Mephibosheth, but he's lame. He had a physical disability. In fact, he was a victim of all this fighting because they said when all this hostility was going on, he had a nurse carrying him when she was an infant, and in her terror, she dropped him. And I've got help a church that drops people when they need them the most. And Mephibosheth, they said, he's living in a land, and watch this, he's living in the land of Lodibar. And Lodibar was a place, but you know what the word Lodibar meant in Hebrew? No words. No communication. Where do you run to when you're in the place of no words? Where do you run to? We're contending to you, when you dwell in the land of no words, run to the Psalms. Run to the Psalms. That's what we're going to look like as a teaching team. Because the Psalms, uh, they are prayers, they're poems, they're praises. Uh, They give voice to things when we don't have any words. How many times has a song or, or a poem or a prayer touched you in deep, deep places where some little cliche just wouldn't fix the grief you're walking through, the hurt you're experiencing, the betrayal you know? The Psalms are powerful stuff, man. I, Martin Luther, a great reformer, he called the Psalms a little Bible. <laughs> In Luther's day, they, they couldn't publish Bibles. People couldn't read them. Only priests could. And Luther said, well, if you can read the Psalms, uh, that one little book, you'll get everything that's in the Bible. Athanasius was an early church um, father. He was, he was to the church what Aristotle was to philosophy. And I love the quote that he said about the Psalms. We can throw that one up there. He said, it is my view that in the words of this book, the whole of human life is comprehended and contained. Nothing to be found in human life is omitted. I grew up in Youngstown, man. It was a very, you know, very prevalent Italian neighborhoods, and you could always smell the food. We'd be out playing, and you want to go into, you know, the Italian grandma at your friend's house who was cooking. And I'll never forget, you remember, you're, oh, gosh, I'm dating myself, but I still like Prego sauce, right? I, 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 I guess, am I going to get a national violation for, for promoting something online? I like them all. Okay, but Prego had a really cute commercial when I was growing up, and it was kids would run in the kitchen and grandma's making the sauce and they would go grandma grandma where's the tomatoes and she'd say it's in there you saw it too and they said where are the onions and she'd say it's in there where are the peppers it's in there right and that's what Athanasius is saying whatever you're going through it's in there man if you're feeling good about life and you're praising God it's in the Psalms if you are going through doubt and despair and you're not sure you even believe in God anymore it's in there Angry at God, it's in there. Brokenhearted, betrayed, it's in there. Getting married, it's in there. Read the Psalms. And so we're encouraging you, our teaching team, as we go through here, through this series, that each one of the teaching pastors are going to pick Psalms that we run to when we're broken, when, we're, when the earth is shifting, okay? 
where, where, where we run to. We're going to do that. I'm going to take two, and Terry and Scott and Steve, we each take one. And let me tell you, when I'm undone, to quote Isaiah, Isaiah in chapter 6, verse 5, said he was undone. When I'm undone, when I'm out of words, when I'm out of prayers, and sometimes when I'm just flat out, out of tears, I run to Psalm 46. So I'm going to ask us, if you look at the big screen and those of you online to look, I think there's value in us in this series. Let's just read these together. Okay, if you want to read it silently, read it out loud, we'll do that. But join me with this. Here's my psalm. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. The nations are in an uproar. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord. See what desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. That's my run-to psalm. That's the one for me. When the earth shakes, when the sky comes tumbling down. In fact, Psalm 46 talks about that. When it says, you know, when the earth changes, when the mountains shake in the heart of the sea. Now we have to understand, uh, this, this was, a, we, we have to read the Bible in its context. And people in that day and age, okay, um, we were so egocentric, and I'm going to claim we probably still are, that this was a day when we didn't think we revolved around the sun, but the sun revolved around us, right? This was before Galileo. This was before Copernicus. They, they had a three-tiered universe. The earth was flat. You had the underworld below, the heavens above. And watch this. The mountains in the heart of the sea were believed to be in the, that day's uh, understanding the pillars that held up the sky. Now they're shaking. Anybody remember Henny Penny or Chicken Little? The sky really is falling down. Right? And, and the things that are supposed to ground us, the things that are supposed to give us meaning, the things we trust are stable now, they're shaking. You ever been through that? Could be a marriage, it could be a relationship, could be a job, could be, you know, fine, could be something I thought was I could count on, friends or family, and now that's shaken. And you know, we're supposed to do at that moment, this is what the psalmist does, God is. You know, and, and I get a little selfish. I love that we read it collectively, but sometimes I just say it, but I put myself in the story. Oh, God, you're my refuge. You're my strength. You're my help in this present trouble. Therefore, help me not to fear. Though the earth should change, though pandemics come, though there's racial anxiety, though there's turmoil and divisiveness, help me not to fear. Though the earth is changing, though the foundations are shaking, because I believe that you are present. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. You're present in our midst. 
You'll be with us until the morning comes. And that gives me strength. And when this pandemic hit, I'm going to tell you, I'm not trying to be up here whining like a little four-year-old, but these last 15, 16 months, man, this has been the hardest stretch of my ministry in 31 years. There was no books to read. There was nobody to call. I afraid for my life. You remember when it first came out, we were all like, am I going to die? Is my wife going to die? Am I going to die? Then I'm afraid for all of you and the church and what's going to happen. I see churches going through turmoil. We had a lot of churches closed in the past year, and I'm fighting. And, we're, and, and you know, I'm going to tell you, when that thing broke, every single day I read this psalm. I started my morning with this psalm. I ended my night with this psalm. For 42 straight days till we got through that first Easter, I ran to the psalm. And God was with us in that year, man. God got us to the finish line. You know, we got to be December. And uh, you know, we'd been working so hard and Christmas was coming. And then, you know, our finance team was saying, wow, our people have hung in there. And we were strong and we had the financial reserves and we we're going we're gonna to be in good shape. And, and then it was Christmas time. And then, you know, Mosaic did their online thing. And this team up here worked for months to produce that. And, and then our heritage team, they wanted to do these uh, candlelight services with little glow sticks out in the parking lot, right? And we did that Christmas Eve and the apocalyptic snowstorm of the ages came in. Do you remember? I don't know if you remember that. And Eddie Arnold's out there freezing our board of trustees. And I got stuff, you know, growing on my hair. And we got string players trying to keep their violins going. And got these young adults who were singing or out caroling. And, and we got there. We did two of those services. And we broke our glow sticks. And me and Pastor Scott and Pastor Lawyer waving our, our glow sticks. I'm going to tell you, we have sent Pastor Terry back home to Lakewood, like, get home now. And it's my favorite Christmas Eve service in my history of my life. I was out there <laughs> freezing cold. And the next morning, Christmas morning, we did something we never did in our lives. We went, we, we went down to Hilton Head. We couldn't be with my sister and my nephews and my nieces. a tradition we've done for years. But we opened our little stockings after our services. At 4 o'clock in the morning, we got in a big rental truck in my tribe of seven. We, we head to Hilton Head. The boys and Tiana said, we can't be with Aunt Shirley and I. Let's just go be somewhere. Go play golf, go fish, Dad, you need it. And we drove down to Hilton Head. I'm going to tell you, for the, I did something, asked my wife, that I rarely do. I relaxed. I, yeah, I don't, <laughs> this sister over here knows me. She's been with you? 17 years, Chip, you don't do this well. I actually breathed. I was like, man, you know, we got down there, and I remember sitting out on the beach with my wife, and I, we were looking out the ocean. I said, honey, we made it. We're still here. Garfield's doing good. We got over the finish line, baby. Thank you. And I had this sense of peace. And then we left Hilton Head. And I got in the truck and I was driving back home. And we were in the foothills of West Virginia. Everybody was asleep in the car but me I was driving. And I had a, oh, you know what moment. I can't say it. It's in the Bible. And you know what those moments are. I had an oh moment, and my heart started beating, and I started sweating. And I said, oh my God, I got to go back and do it again. We're not done yet. I started getting mad at God. I said, wait a minute, God, 2020 is over. We're supposed to be done. We remember around the parking lot and the glow sticks and beat the storm. I mean, I got to go back and do this thing again? And I didn't go read Psalm 46. You know what I did? I did what stupid Chip does. Back when I played basketball, you know, you just, just buckle up, play hurt. 
It's like you're spent after playing Georgetown or Syracuse in your locker room, and you think the game's over, and the coach goes, no, it's halftime. We've got to go back out there. Okay, I can do it. I can leave tall Bill. I can do it. And I jumped back in, and January came, and I was so mad. I was just mad. But I'm going to put on a happy face, and we'll get there. And then January 6th happened, and I had to watch that. And I, Look, my refuge is not in Washington, D.C., but it bothered me. I'm like, man, I've toured that place. We're ripping it apart. What's going on? And then two days after that, my sister called and said, Dad has COVID. I knew that wasn't going to end well. February 4th, he went home to God. February 12th, three days before Lent, we had his funeral. But I got to get through it. I got to go. I got to go. So I grinded on Lent. We go through Lent. We can get there. I'll get through Easter. We get through Easter in April. At the end of April, you know what blind men do? I just walk right into the wall. I walked right into the wall. And I was a man. I was out. I was out of reserves. And I went back to Psalm 46. Because I had forgotten. I thought I could just grind my way through. You can't grind your way through, ultimately. And you know, God was so loving with me, as patient with me, he began to breathe life into me and restore me and nurture me. And then after he does that, how many of you know he comes with the word of God? Did you hear that video? And a word of God is like a two-edged sword. It can kind of cut you. But you know the good news is that's not a sword if somebody wants to hurt you. It's a scalpel of a surgeon. And so now God has to deal with my stupidity. I mean, he loved me and comforted me, but he still had to fix me. And he took me into a proverb. I've read the whole Bible, but I, I, I don't know if I ever read this before. God has such a great sense of humor. He really does. I've learned that about God. And he's just like, here, kid, come over here. I want to show you something. Because it was so out of the ordinary. I was reading. I was getting back in my devotional stuff. I know I can't. I can't lean on the hand of flesh. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. I get it. I, I was back doing it. And he took me into Psalm twenty-seven, twelve. And here's what it says. It says, and don't bring the second one yet. The prudent see danger and take refuge. Psalm 46. God is my refuge. The prudent see danger and take refuge. Watch this. The simple keep going. And suffer for it. Some translations say pay the penalty. I say hit the wall. I mean, God is, you can't make this stuff up. I read that, and I'm just swallowing big gulp. The prudent see danger, and they take refuge. But hey, simple Simon, on your way to meet the pie man, you simple-headed pastor that ought to know better, and just keep going and going and going. Who who's does that? He gets going and going and going. It's who? Energizer Bunny. Yeah, and guess what? That works for a 60-second commercial. <laughs> News to everybody, they're trying to sell you batteries because the Energizer's batteries are going to... Somebody said last. They're going to run out, so you have to buy more. And I'm just I'm going to keep going and going and going and going. Man, friends, I don't know. Learn on my dime. The simple... You know, there's Simple Simon. We just got out of the Jonah series. Remember that little nursery rhyme? I had to laugh because I was, knew I was going to preach this sermon. There's a line in Simple Simon that talked about fishing. 
You, know, you remember that one? Simple Simon went a-fishing for to catch a whale, but all the water that he had was in his mother's pail. And that's what God was saying to me. How's that fishing going over for you, Chip, over there in that little can of coffee beans when I got a whole ocean over here of grace and love and peace and power? Would you come back and take refuge in me? So that's where we need to run to when things break down. I am on September 11th. We're going to be remembering the 20th anniversary of that day. Everybody remembers where they were Tuesday, September 11th, right? When I grew up, I was born 1962. So I was a year old when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. But my sisters are nine and 13 years older than me. And my parents and my grandma and my aunts and uncles and my sisters would always remember where they were when JFK was shot. But this is our iteration of that, many of us. Some of you have lived through both. But everybody remembers where you were on September 11th. Let me tell you what every preacher remembers. They remember what they had to preach that Sunday. (laughs) See, because me, I I try to stay two, three weeks ahead of the game with my messages. I'm usually, if I'm healthy and I'm right, I've got my messages about three weeks out. And uh, I had to go preach somewhere I'd never been before after September 11th, and I had to throw away the sermon. I had preached, I I was a superintendent at the time, so I wasn't preaching only in one place. I could travel around. And I'd preach this big sermon up at our main Methodist conference, and people were coming up after. I guess they thought it was something. They wanted me to come preach to their place. And there was an older gentleman. um, It came up, and he has his head down. He goes, he goes, Reverend Freed, he said, um, we've got like seven small churches. We're out in the country in Ashtabula County, and uh, you, you probably wouldn't come to churches as small as us. Man, that just ripped my heart. I said, you tell me when, I'll be there. And he said, okay. And they had set up for the weekend after September 11th. And it sounded good back in June. But I'm not going to renege on my obligations. They're as hurt as anybody else is. So we went up there. They want me to do a revival of the seven churches. Like one of them had like 10 in worship. The largest one had like 40. But they all got together. I did a revival on Saturday night in a horse barn. Oh, yeah. Some of you know how I feel about country western music. (laughs) But I'll widen the circle, man. It's not about me. But I went up there and I did it. Terry didn't come with me that night, but she came on Sunday morning. When I stayed, we stayed in a little motel because the, the guy had asked, would you come preach in my church? That was part of the deal. So I went to preach in this little church in Ashtabula County. And I knew we weren't in Kansas anymore because my wife, some of you know my wife happens to be African-American. And we showed up that morning. There was an old lady, a wonderful woman. She was so nice and she meant well. But she came up and she hugged Terry. She said, I'm so glad you came too. You're the first one ever. Okay. We're here to serve the Lord. But they were sweet, and they're hurting, and they're wearing all this red, and blue stuff. They even sang the national anthem, which gave me a little of the heebie-jeebies. I mean, I'm a patriot. I love patriots. I just don't think it fits on Sunday morning Sabbath with the God of all nations. That's just me. But it was okay. People were hurting. And I had to go somewhere when you throw your sermon away. Where do you think I went? God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. And I just had three quick points that day. I'll just flash them at you. God is our refuge because God is a place to run to. Say these three words with me. Place, Place. presence, Presence. promise. Those are the jewels I want you to take away. I'm going to flash them here in five minutes. That, that you get from Psalm 46. God is our refuge because he's a place. Do you know refuge in the Hebrew was actually a place? 
It was a place that prisoners could run to if they escaped captivity. It's a place that slaves could run to if they escaped slavery. Or people in debt could run to. Or uh, foreigners could run to and claim asylum. And, and the psalm is saying, that's a place for us. We can run to. And my daughter, we just celebrated her 39th birthday. I shouldn't have said that. We celebrated one of her birthdays. Please don't have Tiana watch online this morning. Don't have Tiana. Oh, please, oh, please, oh, please, Miss Witch. Don't have, no. Um, but we celebrated her birthday, and I, I, was just, I just remember raising this beautiful, wonderful child into adulthood, all my kids. But, you know, when you only have one daughter, and she's a daddy's girl, and I remember we were, she was sitting on my lap when she was six years old, and we were watching Little Mermaid. Thank God for Disney. I had something to watch. But you know the end of that story that Little Mermaid, Ariel, and her dad have to leave, right? And uh, Tiana starts crying. She grabs my neck. You don't leave me, Dad. I'm like, honey, I'm here. It's just a movie. It's, you know, we're okay. And then she's sitting there, and then she said to me, I never forgot. She said, will I ever be too big to sit on your lap? <laughs> nah. No, honey. You'll never be too big to sit on my lap. How many of you know God has a lap? Was it, was Isaiah, it was Isaiah says, I'll uphold you with my right hand. Fear not, for you are mine. He's a place you can go to. And he says, you're never going to be too beat up, too broken, too sinful, too messed up, too confused to come and sit on my lap. God is a place. And God's our refuge because God is a presence. There's a second one that will never leave us. What'd you hear it saying here? He's a very present help in times of trouble. The Lord of hosts is with us. God is with us. Jesus said, go into the world, and as you're going, know that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, I first got to the church, we were a lot smaller then, and, you know, we had a, a bit now with a larger church, we had a care team and everything, but back then, if, if there was somebody alone or whatever, usually it was Terry or I run to the hospital, and, and there was a member of our choir, and he was all alone. His wife had died, they lived alone, they never had kids, and he had been homebound, we'd, we'd been calling on him since I got here, and it, it appeared that he was to the end of his life, and I went up to the hospital room, I just wanted to be with him, and he was on a ventilator, and you could tell he was gasping, he was wanting to talk to me, and he, he was all frustrated and I, I just grabbed him I said it's okay it's okay and, and his body was so tight and I prayed and his, he still his body was frightened he's going there and I, I read the 23rd Psalm and still he's little going through it and then I don't know why I had a moment I just felt like I should sing now pray when you're at that time you'll get Justin or Dre or Leah or Jess but he got me And I just started singing, Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, help me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am worn through the day, through the night. Lead me on to the light. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on. And you know what? As I was singing, he just relaxed. And why? Because God was there. And on those, well, let me tell you, friends, when you get to the end of your life, it's not going to be your achievements. It's not going to be your accomplishments. It's not going to be how holy you were, how many days you were in church. The only thing that's going to matter is, is he there? And when he is, just take his hand. He's the presence for us. He's our refuge because he's a place. He's a refuge because he's our presence. And let me end with this. He is our refuge because he has a promise. And God keeps his promises. 
There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will be with her when, not if, the morning comes. Now, the city of God is Jerusalem. He's singing about Jerusalem. Now, if we go in February, we're looking to go. We're building a team. If we get enough people to go, it will be, it'll be my sixth time leading a trip to the Holy Lands. Uh, this will be my sixth time to Jerusalem. And I can tell you a lot of things that are in Jerusalem. But tell, let me tell you one thing that's not in Jerusalem. There's no river. So what is he talking about? There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. God's saying, because when I am in the midst of the city, there's waters of living water. Jesus said, if you call out to me, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water and streams that bring healing. That's the promise that God is in the midst of all of this, seeking to bring wholeness. God doesn't leave the city. God doesn't leave the church. We may leave him. What was that old billboard used to say? If you feel further away from God than you ever did, who moved? <laughs> and I, I want to close with this. I, I was in seminary, and our seminary professor in theology was teaching a vacation Bible school down in Trenton, New Jersey. Very low-income place, a lot of um, violence, etc. And he invited our class, will you come and help me with these young kids? And these are kids in poverty and hurting, and we can go there and don't be so full of yourself that your Princeton students get off your high horse and let's go do something. And we went down there and we had a great week. And the theme of the whole week was Noah's Ark. And at the very end, Dr. Migliori, our professor, he got the whole group together and he had to tell them the end of the story. And you know, the end of the story, oh, Noah's Ark, is the rainbow. God brings them through, gets them to dry land. God says, I promise I will always be with you, right? And gives a rainbow. And there's a little eight-year-old named Charles. I've never forgot this. He goes, yeah, I see rainbows. I see them every day. And I was Charles' little small group leader, and I looked, and, and Dr. Migliori looked, and I said, hey, Charles, what do you mean you see rainbows every day? Where do you see them? He said, in the mud puddles, in the streets, in the mud puddles. How many of you know when the oil and those urban potholes, what does it look like? <laughs> and I thought, my God, there is a river, there is a rainbow in the midst of the city of God. Charles didn't go, need to go up to some mountain or by some beautiful little seaside. God had left rainbows even in the midst of the mud, even in the midst of the brokenness, even though he was victimized by poverty and racism and poor schools and inadequate health care and inadequate housing. God was in the midst of Charles' mud puddles and saying, I'll always be with you because I'm a place you can run to. I'm a presence that will never leave you. And I have a promise that will never let you down. Here's the place Jesus has left for us. It's at his table. Run to the Psalms. You got my run to Psalm. Come next week and you'll get Pastor Steve. Amen.